I already started rolling, just in case one of us decided to say something extremely hysterical. I didn't. Ah, I wasted the opportunity <laughs> with a bullshit thing to talk about for sure. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. He doesn't like it when we laugh. Struggling Studios in Buffalo, New York. It's the Struggle is Real Buffalo Music Podcast. Welcome to the Struggle is Real Buffalo Music Podcast, where we talk about the struggles facing DIY musicians in the 716. My name is Ryan Garnett, and no matter how many times you tell me otherwise, I still can't believe it's not butter. Wait, you can't believe what isn't butter? Um, you know what? Never Never mind. <laughs> Ryan, this sounds like a hygiene problem. Next topic. <laughs> On episode 68 of the Struggle is Real Buffalo Music Podcast, we welcome in singer-songwriter Philip Steven. Hi, Philip. Hello. To talk about his songwriting process, what he's been up to during quarantine, and we are going to play a game of Green Day, Real Not Real. Okay. See? Ooh. I asked you about your influences. I was going I'm here for this. Bit. Yeah. All right. We're also going to be playing um, some music from Philip. We've got a song from uh, Green Schwinn. And uh, I'm going to yell about some stuff. Hell yeah. But first, actually, but first, a real quick reminder, um, we are going to be uh, a part of a pre-recorded New Year's Eve show on allwny.com. It's going to be airing at, from 9.30 to 12.30 on uh, December 31st. Um, it's going to include a bunch of games, some music. Uh, Lou's going to be there. Cassidy's going to be there. I'm going to be there. We have guests, including uh, Chelsea from Stress Dolls, Sydney Flanagan, and Kevin Sampson from Kevin Sampson and the Night Shift. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So, Check that out, and uh, the first hour that will also be our best of 2020 episode, which you can also find on WNYMusic.com as of January 1st. Oh man, that, I can't wait for that one. All right, but first, so this happened at Milky's. I, I, I need, I need to just exercise these demons. Someone booked a night and said, my band's going to play, and I'd never heard of this band. And he's like, and these two other bands are going to play. And that's, 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 that's this bill I've put together. Can you give me a night? We gave him a night. And I looked, as soon as I heard about the bill, I took a look at it, and I'm like, these two bands told me that they're not playing shows right now. But it's Milky's, and I don't book all the shows, and that was someone else's show. So I'm like, I'm just going to put that aside. He's, he, the, the guy stops returning our messages. And then I reach out to the members of one of the bands and I'm like, hey, do you know what this is? And they had no idea. They, like, like the, the singer from the, the first band I talked to hadn't even heard of the other band, which is hilarious because this guy was claiming he was a guitar player in that person's band. He's like, no, I've never heard of that at all. And I'm like, okay. And I reach out to the second band and they're like, that's our guitar player's brother. But yeah, we told him we weren't going to do anything until after Thanksgiving. And I'm like, well, he's ghosting us. You should probably tell him not to. And he's like, guys, I'm really sorry. I didn't reply after five emails. And it's like, what? And then he's like, no, no. He's like, well, I, I still have one other band playing. And we're like, what band? And he named one of the bands I talked to. I'm like, dude, they're not playing. He's like, what? <laughs> Holy shit. What is happening? How does someone call and book? Why? Yeah, wow. Communication is key, I'm especially just, now, are these? Like, like that, that's just a debacle to me, how that can happen top to bottom, where, like, you're like, yeah, sure, I got these bands. It's like, okay, everyone ready? He's like, oh, no, no, I don't have these bands. Like, but you said you had them for this, 
it's more of like can they try and botch everything together Here's what I'll tell you. If you're in like a really new band and you're trying to book a show at a venue, try and jump on someone else's show before you start trying to create your own shows. Or like ask the promoter if they know bands that might fit the bill. Exactly. Like if that band just said, hey, I want to play a show, we would have happily given them a date and I would have happily looked for other bands on there. So um, especially like I don't think with a lot of the venues locally, they don't want necessarily want you to pitch a whole show. Yeah. Like yeah. you can just be like, hey, can I get on and get on that way? Yeah. But doing it this like I, I'm never going to work with this this guy i'm never gonna work with his band again like i don't want to talk i mean it's one thing to set up a show that doesn't happen it's a second thing to just outright lie to the promoter when he knows otherwise i think another thing too it could just be experience like oh absolutely like if you don't know what you're doing when it comes to getting a show together or booking yourself always try and look for the people that do end up you know organizing the shows and events like ryan or someone else exactly because that way you know you can make those connections but one of the ways that i actually ended up doing that was i went to people's shows and i spoke with bands i hung out with them you know we became i came to support them and i built networks of just people that are able to be like hey yeah we can do this bill this night if you want to and so on and so forth and so yeah support your guys <laughs> and i think it's just you know don't especially if you're just starting off don't take on more than you can handle well you know what i mean like if i start a band and i'm three months in i'm not going to be like my new band's putting on our own music festival and we're going to have 20 bands on it's just like start slow <laughs> it's great to have big ideas but you need the experience and the people behind you and that trust yeah. that people have in you so you can make those things happen so um, yeah, because I'm, I'm pretty sure this guy was a college guy. Did he have anything released? Um, at all? I couldn't. I couldn't find a thing. Yeah. Okay. Then that, that that's also another point. Like, you know, you have to build some kind of like base of like knowledge where we can find so that you know we can end up booking you like that type of situation. I'll book a band if I haven't heard them. Like I said, it's just like, why? Why would you do that? Why yes. would you, they're just making people angry. And then that just leads me to another point I, I wanted to say, and I'm yelling about this stuff because nothing else is happening, so I don't have anything else to yell about. But I've wanted to yell about this for a while. If a promoter reaches out to you and asks if you want to play a show, if you don't want to play that show, reply to the message and say no. Why do people think it's okay to just ignore this shit? Like, it blows my fucking mind. Like, Ooh. even even if, like, even if I contact you and you don't like me, why do you want me bothering you further because you're not responding? Like, just say no and I'll leave you alone. Honestly, sometimes the simplest of answers really goes a long way when it comes down. Because people remember that type of, like, not respondents. Oh, I have, I, I have a ton of really cool bands that I, I would have hoped to have worked with one day, but you call them 15 times over the span of like three or four years and you ask them all to want to play a show and they only respond to the first two and after that it's like dude if you don't want to play my shows just tell me you'll save both of us the time exactly so yeah i mean and, and honestly you never like like you know if 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 you contact me about a show yes and i ignore you you're not going to want to work with me again but if i simply say no and then you end up blowing up yeah. I want to be able to work with you then, but you don't get that opportunity when you just kind of cut it off that early on. Like, just it's just a matter of courtesy, I think. Exactly. It's a matter of just being communicative and being able to just talk to another person and just be like, hey, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. Because it's just honest, it's upfront, and it shows that you as a musician and then, you know, as a band, you know, can properly, properly communicate at that, you know, like informal business level. 
Sure. And I mean, too, and like with a lot of what was happening before we closed down, um, like I was booking shows last minute too, and I had a lot of cancellations. So you know, Phillips, 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 part of my filling crew. I actually have yeah. a, a Facebook Messenger group about it, and you know, one, it's it's all solo performers, which makes it a lot easier to do short notice, and if you don't have three people on there, but there, it's also full of people who I know will reply to me. Like there's no one on that list who I don't think would reply to me within forty. Like would. That would reply to me within 48 hours. Yeah. So um, that is how you that's how you get in with people and that's how you can get make stuff happen. So just be courteous. I mean, someday you're going to want people to do be courteous to you as well. So just something to think about for folks. And um, we're going to play a song. And I'm really uh, uh, this was at the request of Cassidy that we play this. And um, so I'm really sad she's not here to talk about it because I, I think the song's wonderful, but she thinks it's her and her kids love it too um this is a song called sandwiches by green schwinn sandwiches sandwiches are and they, may i ask because I, I have to ask is it a song about sandwiches is it a song for sandwiches or is it a song because they are the embodiment of the sandwiches it's about sandwiches so it's about sandwiches. yes and if you check out they do have a youtube video for it that they recorded live in the park that includes john carrying around a pile of what i believe is grilled cheese sandwiches through the park <laughs> while he sings and andy plays guitar and it is it's br like it's brilliant like like sometimes you hear some of green schwinn stuff and it might not hit your ear right but then every so often he, he, you just see this moment of brilliance out of it and you're like fucking cool like this is what I was hanging out for I knew it was coming exactly so here is sandwiches by Green Schwinn on the struggle is real buffalo music podcast on westernnewyorkmusic.com Cheese or 
even peanut butter But they all taste so good to me It really doesn't matter Jam or ham or cucumber Any kind will do I like sandwiches Now about you Sandwiches are beautiful Sandwiches are fine I like sandwiches I eat them all the time I eat them My supper I eat them My lunch If I had a hundred sandwiches I'd eat them We are back here on the Struggle is Real Buffalo Music Podcast on WNYMusic.com. That was Sandwiches by the Great Green Schwinn. A moment of brilliance indeed. Yes, and now we are joined by singer-songwriter Philip Steven. Hey, Philip. Hello. How's it going? I'm doing very good. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for asking me to come here. Yeah. I appreciate yeah, it. I haven't seen you in a while, and last time that I saw you... Oh, wow. Last time that I saw you, you opened for one of the groups I was playing with, and let, let me just say... Probably one of the best acoustic solo performances I've seen in a long time. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate. I, I I like hearing that. Yeah. Yeah. No. You're. I. I think you're. I, I'm. I'm not. I don't want to sound like I'm overdoing it, but I. I think you are one of the more underknown. <laughs> I think singer songwriters locally. Like. Yeah, that's Given how true. good I think you are, like, for the quality. Yeah. So, yeah. but that means good things are coming. I mean, the rest is going to catch up. That's, Hopefully, that's always the case. It seems. So now, um, you were. How long have you been writing songs and playing for? I know you took a break when you had a kid, but yeah, I mean, I've been playing in bands around Buffalo since high school. But who are your high school bands? Um, not anything really particular. I was in a band called Arbor Falls that had some guys that were in um, some other bands, but not very any not anything that lasted very long. Seldom shows, you know, one or two Legion kind of things. Sure. And then I started writing a lot of songs in college, I would say. Stuck with an acoustic guitar in my dorm room kind of situation. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, it's a long time, I guess. So, um, have you ever have you ever had a band where you you were the lead singer, guitarist? Yes. And how'd that go? Well, I'm still in a band called The Raz with my best friend Steve. Um, he lives in New York now, so the Raz is kind of on hiatus for a bit, but um, also was in a band, like a ska band. That was really interesting. <laughs> it was a cool band. It didn't last very long. It's hard to pay six guys, you know, and we wanted a seventh guy. I was going to say, six for a ska band is pretty small. Yeah, we, yeah. Won, we won some Battle of the Bands thing once, and it was like... It was like 300 bucks, which is great. And before that, I was in that two-piece band, the Raz. So I'm like, wow, that's a lot of money. And then I, we divvied it up. I'm like, it's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does happen to be the case with bigger bands. Like, pay does shrink from, like, individual. That's that's yeah. what, the smaller bands. I like that. A nice I've, power trio. I've like. played a supporting role in numerous bands, though. Sure. So, like, with what you're doing now, have you ever thought about having a band with kind of that kind of stuff you're doing? Yeah, all the time. Just doesn't ever come to fruition for whatever reason. Is it drummers? Um, probably. Yeah, you can blame drummers. Probably. <laughs> I know a lot of them. <laughs> They're honestly one of the hardest things to find. They're two of the hardest things to find. Drummers and bassists. Yeah. See, I'm a bassist. That's my supporting <laughs> role in other bands. So there you go. So that's also been a problem, too, is so if I'm in a band, I kind of should. There's no reason why I shouldn't play bass. Yeah. So um, you, 
So being a supporting, you know, role playing the bass, um, how do you feel like the transition from playing bass and guitar kind of suits you? Do you find yourself doing like bass licks a lot when you're playing? Because like I notice sometimes when you're playing, you'll throw in like these little like lead licks on like the lower end of the guitar. Yeah, I I think because I'm a bass player, um, like finger picking melodies that I have are more rooted in bass lines than they are higher leads. It's just kind of, and, and I'm definitely when I'm in a band playing guitar and I'm soloing bass players are always like, dude, get out of my zone. <laughs> like I get that a lot. I, for whatever reason, I'm like a freak for low end, I guess, but it's, it's definitely, I think apparent to me in what I'm writing. Yeah. I'm kind of the same way when I play on guitar too. Um, so when I when I asked you about your influences, I think you told me Bright Eyes, Green Day. Do you remember who the third one was? Joe Pug. Joe Pug, who I'm not familiar with. You should be. I, I was <laughs> I, with like the way your songwriting is and the way you. I was expecting some like Bob Dylan, Johnny Bob Cash Dylan. is more. But... I like Johnny Cash. I like a lot of old country guys. I love Dylan a lot. Um, but you know, I didn't want to give the Dylan response. Everybody gives the Dylan response. I feel like. Well, see, I based the game on your response. I was hoping you'd say <laughs> Dylan or Cash. Well, Green Day is way more up my alley. Fair enough. And this, this is, I, we do have a good game coming up. Okay, good. So, so, but I, I wouldn't, but look, like listening to your music, I don't think, green, like Bright Eyes makes perfect sense to me, but yeah. I don't think I would have picked up Green Day. Green Day is my favorite band. They've been my favorite band since I was in second grade. So I have the privilege of still having a really cool favorite band, I feel like. Yeah. So here's a question. So with what you're doing now, you got your folk acoustic stuff. Would you want to start a pop punk band like Green Day, like a power trio? I mean, I definitely could. Okay. It's gonna. With Stephen, uh, uh, I called you Stephen again. Look at this. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> Philip and I were talking earlier uh, about uh, a Weaker Than's cover band too. That yeah. If you had never listened to the Weaker Than's, you should. Uh, his singing voice sounds eerily like my talking voice. I've been told. Um. I sing in baritone, but like this is this is deviated septum voice. Yeah. So if I just sing speak, I'm like right at that level, and it's perfect. So someday, hopefully. So with Green Day being your favorite band, do you ever find yourself kind of looking at the other bands that kind of sprouted from that era or genre? Like, I like, like, um, like literally. When I think of Green Day, I also think of like Blink One Eighty Two. I think of like Linkin Park, of like MCR, Offspring, that type of stuff. Yeah. Do you ever find some of your music, you know, influenced by, I guess, like that era of, um, you know, I, I guess, like, like music? Yeah. Yeah. Nineties uh, punk rock. Nineties punk rock. Thank you. Absolutely. I went to Alden High School, and Alden was really weird. Like, there was definitely cliques, as in types of people that were in our high school but it was such a small cast of kids where it wasn't like there were cliques where we were mean to each other or anything we're all friends like, like how many kids are in the school i graduated with i think 175 people okay i graduated with like 110 so i, yeah. get, I get what you're saying and it was like the kids that were in bands and were punks were really popular kids so were the kids that were really good at football so it was kind of strange huh. but oh we were definitely skater punks for, <laughs> still kind of am do you still skateboard yeah, I don't really try to do anything nowadays, you know, just ride around. Have you seen, I've been seeing these one wheel things in the neighborhood. Have you, it looks like, it's like a 
They're very cool. It's like a, a motor-powered, automatically balanced unicycle. It's like a hoverboard, but you ride it the other way, and it's like got a real serious wheel on it. I saw one guy just like standing on it like, like a unicycle. I saw another guy sitting somehow mm-hmm. with like a, with some sort of music, so he just had like theme music tracking him. <laughs> I know I'm really getting off on a tangent here, but those things are, look really fucking cool. They look very fun. <laughs> they are very interesting. So um, with, with everywhere you've played, uh, what's your favorite venue to play at? My favorite venue is the Mohawk place. Uh, uh, it's just uh, the nostalgia. I can sit at the bar and see tons of local band stickers of bands that my friends were in, bands I remember seeing, a lot older friends, older brothers' bands, kinds of things. It's yeah. very uh, an important place to me. It I feels agree. like church when I'm there. I, that's, I think that's a great way to put it, and that's yeah. definitely, I feel the same way. There's a history marked on those walls. Yeah. There's also a lot of Struggle is Real stickers. <laughs> they may or may not be going over the Think So Joe stickers, but I'm sure he doesn't listen to this podcast, so that's okay. <laughs> oh, shit! <laughs> it's going down! Okay. <laughs> okay, with so all this, what's your least favorite place to play hmm. in all your years? Give me a place that's closed, even. Yeah, no, I, I would say... When I was younger, and like you said, I had a kid when I was in my early 20s, so it was very chilled out on playing shows, but we were trying to get music going on in, in the town where I lived at bars and stuff, and that was those were my worst playing experiences. For some reason, you know, this is 11, 12 years ago, out in the rural area, they weren't feeling open mic nights and stuff, and it was very uh, uncomfortable a lot of the time. It's not like that anymore. Yeah, you can go. You can go find some great bars to play at for rural crowds, and they're drinking great beer and they're loving like John Prine covers and stuff. <laughs> but when I was like 21, that wasn't the case. That was like the worst. When I when I when I first came when I first moved back from Albany to Buffalo, this has been like 2005, 2006. I I wanted to find an open mic night, and I found one. I was in Hamburg, and I found one in Boston. I'm like, okay, cool. And I drive all the way down there, and I pull in, and there's like 30 motorcycles in the parking lot, and it's like, yeah, no, no, this isn't. I I have a feeling these guys aren't gonna appreciate Super Chunk. I should probably just leave. It's great. We uh, there's friends of ours that are younger and in bands, and they're like ripping it up at bars like that and i love it because that's really the kind of place that i feel most at home like easy going to i still live yeah. kind of in the suburbs so whereabouts are you now i'm in depew okay second house on the wrong side of the tracks that's what <laughs> i tell people <laughs> oh i've been there i've been i actually went to the for the first one it's just I a to, joke i bought crack there i was making a joke too <laughs> <laughs> how was the experience uh the, the crack or depew both Horrible. <laughs> There's at least three seconds tacked onto the end of that that I feel it just starts getting sarcastic. I feel like it just grows. Entirely. Like it just starts to fade and then it hits up again and it's like it's like okay okay it wasn't that funny. So now, uh, have you uh, any experiences opening for people who later became famous or people who were? Any any big star stories? Um, Robbie told me that he liked one of my songs this summer. He told me I sounded like Harry Nilsson. Oh, wow. Which was like, I had a mask on and so did he. It was freaking weird, you know? And I was like, thanks. You know, you couldn't see me like stammering. Yeah, I could see you crying. <laughs> hope I didn't seem like I was not uh, flattered. That's awesome. I was. That was a pretty big moment. 
Cool. Now, um, have you ever hosted your own open mic nights? Um, I used to when I was younger. You probably... What was the weirdest fucking thing you saw at those? Um, there has to be something. Yeah, one time there was... Th- there These women came in while we were playing, and it was at one of those places where, like, not a lot of people showed up to play open mic and kind of a rough crowd, and... They apparently had gotten kicked out of the strip clubs that were right close to the <laughs> place we were playing at. And they're begging us to stop playing. They wanted to listen to the jukebox. And they're, like, God. pleading with us to stop. And we got paid. So we just stopped. <laughs> oh, that's brutal. It was a hard... It was hard. I think I was, like, 20 or 21. Really young and not used to dealing with, like, drunk, crazy adults. They were a lot older. Oh, oh yeah. No, I think if... At that age, I think I might have flipped out a little bit. I yeah. don't think I had that kind of... Yeah. No, I definitely didn't have that kind of patience at that age. Yeah, I remember a different night being at that open mic where there was just a different kind of rough crowd. And I remember there was a moment where I was, like, holding a pool cue and, like, standing there with my back turned to somebody that was pissing me off, thinking, like, am I going to break this pool cue over this guy? <laughs> it was bad. It was... Uh, their theme of the bar was bikers and hippies getting along. And that oh, was, my God. That was not the case. That never happened. That was... Was not there the was case. never a single instance in which that probably happened. The dynamic is just so polarized that there's just no way that they're going to get along. No. In their defense, we were pretty emo. <laughs> like, <laughs> we weren't playing like top 40s songs on our open mic. I'm I mean, sure, it wasn't great. That's fair. I mean, what, 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 <laughs> if, we... I, if I go, if I go to a bar where they're playing top 40s, and I go and I play an obscure song. They're going to look at me and be like, what in the fuck are you playing? And they're either going to think, what in the fuck are you playing? Or, what the fuck are you playing? I don't like this. <laughs> I like just playing covers and just not announcing that they're covers. And then afterwards, they're like, oh, that song is really awesome. And you're like, thanks. It was written by Flogging Molly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they give you that opportunity. Like, I almost like having that opportunity to play in front of crowds and be like, I might be doing a couple covers, but you've never heard these songs before, <laughs> so you don't know any better. Yeah. Well, the songs we were playing back then went well at other places, so I hope it wasn't us being bad. Did you, did you ever do any of the open mics at Higher Grounds? No, but I remember <laughs> oh. that being a thing. It was this, like, uh, religious, like, uh, coffee shop open <laughs> mic venue. Sound like Mile Strip, right? Yeah, yeah, I played there a couple times. It was always kind of a weird vibe. But, like, they had the guy with the CD thing who could, like, he'd burn your performance if you wanted for a couple bucks. <laughs> but, like, oh, man, I wanted to swear so much there. When I found out they were closing, I was like, I'm like, can we just go there and play Bitches Ain't Shit? Get kicked out and just... <laughs> I remember a couple of good shows there. I didn't realize it was a Christian place. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was. I never knew that even existed. Oh, wait, the, the list was, I mean, you were probably... <laughs> the okay. last time I was I <laughs> no wait, hold on here uh, the last time I was at that place you were 10 so most likely 10 no 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 I, I, I'm telling you factually 10 you were 10 I was 10 and not in state yes <laughs> oh man I had a question now I lost it um, I'm sorry actually I have one I'm for sure, you yeah <laughs> so with that experience of having I guess like people you know asking you to leave or asking you to stop playing how do you think that has affected I guess your maturity in handling people like that throughout the years of playing um <coughs> I don't know if my response is mature. I just kind of <laughs> don't engage with people, I guess. 
I mean, that could be considered mature. Like, you're just yeah, absolutely. You're reserved. You just take it in and just... You if know. I have to, I just get through the situation, try to get it over with quickly, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Any times that that has escalated to a level that was uncomfortable for you? Where, like, you didn't necessarily, like, take, like, any action, but those people were just, I guess, so forward and, like, forceful about it. I mean, I'm not confrontational at all, so... If, if somebody is really begging me to stop so that they can request it. If someone's trying to talk to me, like doing that, where they're asking me to play something while I'm in the middle of playing something, if they're being that aggressive, I'll usually just stop. I might make a joke, depending on the situations. I'm not going to, like, get aggressive. Do you get a lot of hecklers? Like, I used to play open mic nights, but I never actually played, like, show shows by myself. So you've probably done a lot of that. Do you, do you get hecklers at all? No. Good. That's really good. I haven't had a heckler in a very long time. Excellent. Unless it's my own friends. Ah, uh, yeah. Which is fun. One time during a show, they t- my friends tied my shoelaces together during one of the songs. <laughs> yeah. I had things thrown at me by my friends, too. My bassist poured, like, a cup of ice water down my back one day. Oh, but what I was going to say is that I, I think... I think going through that experience where it was shut the fuck up because I want top 40, I think is good for musicians at some point. Because I, oh, yeah. I think it's humbling in a way. And um, I was actually talking to another friend of mine who's a musician about this earlier. We were talking about um, a musician that a lot of people I know don't want to deal with. And he kind of brought him up. And the point he made was everyone in their life needs to have a point where someone just tells them to shut the fuck up and they have to listen <laughs> absolutely my buddy went uh he had like 400 dollars in parking tickets in vegas he was in his early 20s he didn't have anything going on so he just decided he was gonna go to prison instead of paying off the tickets and he's like i was in there and you know what you'll learn to <laughs> shut the fuck up well tell you what when we do three hour cover nights now uh well you know when when we were doing them uh we don't play necessarily top 40s <laughs> There's definitely a few crowd pleasers. I'm still playing the songs I want to play, but I'm playing them in a way that people don't seem to be. That's the perfect way to do caring it. Caring that they might not know the song, you know. Yeah. For sure. So I would say probably that might have affected that. Those two ladies were just really drunk. That was that. <laughs> I know. I want to find them now. Bring them on. Interview them. Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll be. They'll be our next guest. <laughs> So are you working on anything right now, like for any future releases or anything? Thank you. Um, I actually want to put something out soon, um, just because it seems so easy to now. And yeah. The uh, capabilities that I'm figuring out I have for sharing music with people is really exploding during um, the quarantine and everything. I really like it. And I realize I have like uh, a laptop that's got a whole b-sides situation probably 20 things so i was thinking i might polish some of those up or just finish songs and kind of use that as my process nice and like i said a couple close friends and i have been emailing stems back and forth to each other and it's been really useful for me i'm sure yeah I'm actually, uh, I got in contact with a band I was in a really long time ago. We never put our music online, so I'm like, hey, let's, might as well. I've got a DistroKid account I'm not doing anything with, so we threw it on there, and he's like, we need to make music, virtually. And I'm like, ah, 
Like that sounds. I'm like, it'll be like the postal service. This is so much fun. Yeah. I just I love that. Like it's just like every day it just gets easier. You know, like when the postal service existed, they called themselves the postal service because they had to mail shit back and forth. But right. you can just throw shit and drive now. Yeah. Like it just gets easier and easier. So there's no excuse not to try and at least do something to be that's great uh, productive during this and the, time. The areas that I lack um, knowledge in are things that some of my friends are great at like you know mixing things or sure. knowing how to use plugins or buses the right way like that's so beyond uh, me i just want to like think a song and have it sound great so it's really awesome to be able to get something back and it's maybe it's how you heard it in your head but maybe it's some way you didn't imagine that it could sound it's really fun yeah so i noticed also on social media you did the 30-day um writing challenge oh yeah is any of what you've been emailing back and forth or working on influenced by that 30-day challenge? And how was your experience with that, by the way? One of the songs is from that. Um, yes. And I hope to get uh, more people involved on it. So that should hopefully be a song that we put out eventually. Nice. Um, it was fun. I used to be a, a person that could like just crank out automatic songs. Like, you know, we could hang out for two hours and we'll have three songs. But they probably weren't really about anything important or, you know, probably wasn't much of that to them. It might have just sounded cool. Nowadays, it's a lot more things just kind of slowly come to me. I might write a verse and a chorus and it takes me a few months and I don't really think about it. Doing a song every day for 30 days was kind of interesting. I realized how much, like, crap just comes out. Like, just corny oh, yeah. sounding, lame songs, especially because it's on prompts. And I'm not somebody who uses prompts to write, like, ever. So it's it's good, though. It kind of makes you feel like you're recycling all the shit. So, like, you might work on prom on your songwriting prompts, and you have, like, three or four days of songs that are just kind of not that good. But just going over those on the fifth day, you might write another bad song. But then later on in the day, you, like, just start singing a really good song, and you're like, oh, fuck. This isn't about the prompt at all, but I like this. Sure. It's really cool. Yeah, I think, I, I, I love that idea. I think every singer should do that at least once a year. And I will always preach songwriting is, practicing songwriting is just as important as practicing your instrument. You're not, you know, just because everything you churn out isn't good to, you know, your own opinion. Right. Doesn't mean you're not improving by doing that work. So I think that's always something really important to think about when you're doing that too. Do you think that, you know, that exercise, like, I guess, tested your limits or your capabilities or even just, like, shown you a side of you that, like, you didn't know that you had by exercising that? Um, I don't know if I really processed it that much. A lot of the songs that I wrote for those days aren't even things that I know how they would go anymore if I saw, the, saw them written <laughs> in my notepad. They're still in my notepad. I probably have voice memos of them. But it's like a lot of it just wasn't worthwhile. Um, maybe that's part of it. Sure. I don't know. We're doing another prompt thing for a different group that I'm in, I think, in January. Not as intense of one, but maybe like a, here's a month to come up with a song for this prompt. Kind yeah. Of I briefly joined one and I'm like, I just don't have the time. It sounds like so much fun. At some point, I'd really love to be able to get into that. But we're out of time. This is my January challenge. Ooh. So we are going to play, we're going to play one of your tracks. Um, this is, uh, how do I know how long to say ooh because of the way it's written out? Is there a timing to it? I kind of look at the O's. Okay. Ooh. 
Yeah, you got it. Nice. <laughs> um, I really like this track. Um, is that Sarah Elizabeth in the background? Singing? It is. Yes. My good friend. Yes, she sounds great in that. So uh, we're going to play that, and then we will be back with Green Day Real Not Real trivia. Yes. Here on the Struggle is Real Buffalo Music Podcast on westernnewyorkmusic.com. Every 
That was Ooh by Philip Stevens. <laughs> You're getting there. Yeah, okay. Getting, on the Struggles Real Buffalo <laughs> Music Podcast on westernnewyorkmusic.com. So um, I asked who your influences were because I wanted to set up some sort of game. So I have Green Day Real Not Real Trivia. Okay. So I have 10 Green Day facts. Okay. Some of them are real. Some of them are not real. You have to tell me the difference. If you get six right, I have a prize. And it's a nice prize. I think that I'll be pretty good at this. I don't really like Green Day. is a huge band. I mean, there's super fans out there that probably know a lot more than me. But based on everyone we know, I feel like I'm the guy who should do pretty well. All right. I hope. I believe in you, man. Speaking of prizes, Devin Mullins last... I I literally have a bag of fireworks that he won on the last episode. (laughs) I won a trivia game at work yesterday, but I wasn't paying attention too much, and I don't know what I'm supposed to be winning. Wow, that's a gift card that... You, you, you can write off your taxes. You, yeah. you want a surprise. There you go. <laughs> All right. Number one. Oh, here, I'll give you the... Make sure you know what sound you want to do for the correct answer and the wrong one. <laughs> All right. Uh, Durnt is not the bass player's real last name. Durnt was the sound he'd make for bass notes when he played air bass as a high school student. According to lore, that is correct. That is correct. Here. <laughs> a standing ovation for one correct answer. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with that. Uh, while staying at the Sunset Marquee Hotel in Los Angeles in 1997, the band walked the halls naked trying to get the attention of another rock act staying at the hotel, the Rolling Stones. Ooh, I've never heard that one before. I'm going to say false. That is true. Ooh. I know that that's a hotel where crazy things apparently happen in the rock and roll world. Yes, I read there were a few other Green Day stories that happened there, but that was that was the one where I'm like, why did they want to meet the Rolling Stones? <laughs> and why would that be the way to do yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> maybe they just really like them. Hey, Mick Jagger, there's some naked punks walking around. You clear things like that's what I've been looking for all night. <laughs> uh, when Green Day had their infamous Mudstock performance at Woodstock '94, the security guards had a tough time controlling both ba- bands and fans yep. throwing mud. The person who took it. Worse from the security guards was Mike Durnt, who was mistaken for an unruly fan. He was decked, and he had to leave to have emergency dental surgery. That's correct. That is true. No, I wonder how much that cost. <laughs> oh, my God. Mike or the security guard? Oh. Just the dental surgery in general. Wouldn't you just hate to go into work like the next week as a security guard and you're the guy who punched like Mike Durant in the face? <laughs> I don't know why they put the biggest band in the world at the time. They put them first on the bill. I don't think that. that yeah, I don't. I mean, that well, the Limp Biscuit had to be at night. That wasn't that same year. Oh, it wasn't. That oh, was yeah. when Dookie came out. Oh yeah. Like I don't know. I always thought about that. That is a little weird. Maybe because of the punk aesthetic. 
We'll have the people behind Woodstock 94 on sometime. We'll ask. <laughs> All right. We'll yeah. ask. We get to the bottom oh, of things here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Billy Joe raged on stage at the 2012 iHeart Music Festival. Usher performed before Green Day, ran over their time, and then cut Green Day's set time in half. Billy Joe smashed his guitar on stage saying, I'm not fu- fucking Justin Bieber, you motherfuckers. It's true, and it's it's also true, you know. Yes. Right on on both counts. He is not Justin Bieber. (laughs) (laughs) You're three for four. Billy Joe's one for one. (laughs) All right. A large amount of the apparel sold during Green Day's first nationwide tour was printed free using T-shirts and printing supplies that the band stole from local crafting stores. That's true. That is false. That's not. That is not. I know that they had a lot of merch that they sold out of their, their in the tape trading days. And a lot of it was screen printed stuff. Stolen might not be true. Yes, correct. I actually that based that off my punk band from college. Okay. All of our merch was stolen. All right. <laughs> I think I answered it in my own head before I heard stolen. But I'll take the, I'll take the hit on it. All right, you're three out of five. You're doing good. Yeah. Do you go three out of five for the rest of the way? You win. I wouldn't be surprised if they did steal things. I'm just saying. Yeah, but just not all of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we're talking 97, too. This was the Dookie Tour. I, I have a feeling whatever record label they were on was covering or helping, or I, I, I don't know how that stuff worked. But. I don't either. <laughs> they would cover all the Someone would do something. Shit. Someone would do something. That's yeah. what I can guarantee you. <laughs> I was thinking, like, pre-driving in a car days. Oh, yeah, yeah. If it was, like, 94 Green Day, then I think that might be. The, the that book might. your own life book. Exactly. DIY days. All right, number six. After Johnny Rotten said that Green Day sucked, suck now, and will suck in the future, the band got him back. Uh, on a night on tour, they found themselves in the same Las Vegas hotel. Uh, Mike Dirt and Billy Joe sent Johnny Rotten ten pizzas and four male prostitutes. It's mm. another one that I've never heard, but the Johnny Rotten thing sounds believable. He's proven himself to be a prick. He is an asshole. And why not waste money on things like that? All right, why not? I'll say true. That is false. Uh. It's all right. It would have been interesting if it was true, though. That'd be, like, that's an interesting take on revenge. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Rotten has said shit about Green Day, but it wasn't wasn't that exact quote or anything like that, and the rest I, I just made up. I don't pay attention. Sorry. See, the other one turned out to be true, so I was like, I don't know, man, maybe that's a thing. Maybe they're, like, kind of dicks to other people. <laughs> All right, number seven. Drummer Trey Cool attended Clown College for a while before joining Green Day. Supposedly, he has only one testicle after losing the other one in a tragic unicycle accident. He was riding on a stage at a high school near his hometown when he suddenly fell off the stage and landed on the unicycle. It sounds like a real thing, but I'm quite sure that Trey Cool was playing drums in bands already before being in Green Day, and he was pretty young when he was doing it. So I'm going to say false. Uh, Actually, it's both real and not real. Um, It is is not confirmed to be true rumor about Green Day. So it might be something he said about himself. Exactly. So you're right. Honestly, either answer was right that time. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, see, look. All right. (laughs) Green Day got kicked out of their own album release party for Dookie at a venue called The Echo in L.A. for starting a food fight. I'm going to say no. That didn't happen. That is correct. 
feel like that would have been a huge publicity thing that would have worked out in their favor in the fucking long run. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Ozzy bit heads <laughs> off of a bat at a meeting. That's like a huge thing. Like, he did it on stage, did he not? I'm pretty sure like someone handed him like a real bat. He did do. Oh, he bit him off a bird at a meeting. Yeah, it was, it, was, saying, it was a dog. Just saying, they hit it so big that they did something like that. A food fight. That would have been on the MTV behind the music, I think. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You would have seen that. Yeah. All right. You just need to get one out of the last two right here. Okay. Got this. Oasis's Noel Gallagher accused Green Day of ripping off Wonderwall with their song Boulevard of Broken Dreams. He told Stuff Magazine, they should have the decency to wait until I am dead before stealing my songs. I at least pay the people I steal from that courtesy. I don't know about the quote, but there is a dispute about how you can line those two songs up. Um, I'm going to say true. It is true. That is true. You've already won. Right. Yeah, I want to do the last yeah, question. The last one. Uh, an impulsive character, Durnt trashed a TV in a fit of nervous excitement the first time he saw himself on television. <laughs> It sounds like another one of those Trey Cool things where you're like, you know, he could do that just because he's being funny and nobody would really know, but it might not be true. Why not? I already won. Let's say true. It is true. Okay. <laughs> All right. Do you like the band Rilo Kylie? I like the band Rilo Kylie a lot. Okay. I can give you a different prize if you have this, but I do have a digital download code for the execution of all things. Excellent. I will take this. Excellent. Hell yeah. Uh, Fuck yeah. I, I, found, I found it on vinyl. I, most of the prizes are the codes I get from buying things, buying records at this point, which I think works out well. Um, I'd been looking for that record for almost a year, and I found it at Black Dot, which is right across the street from uh, Gypsy Parlor. I think that album has one of my Cry in Your Car songs on it. Oh, what song is it? Better Son Slash Daughter. Yes, that's yeah, on there. That's the album I want a digital download of. There you Thank go. you very much. I, like, I'm not the biggest Rilo Kylie fan, but that album, that album, you're going to love it top to bottom. Like, mm-hmm. outside of the song where the guy who played Pinsky on Salute Your Short sings, yeah. um, it's it's beautiful. So, um, and But yeah, and I wanted to just mention Black Dot. I think I love record stores around here and they're really cool I found that execution of all things which I'd been looking for for a while and I also found uh, the Weaker Than's Fallow which Weaker Than's records are hard to find yeah I believe it I haven't talked to the folks at Black Dot and he's like yeah we get them in from time to time and they go fast I haven't been there in a long time I'll have to stop and check it out I'm over after the holidays I'm overdue for a little bit of record yeah by buying their vinyls yes exactly they're expensive yeah, no, uh, Revolver's great, and I've been going to Black Dot, and that's cool. And there's another place called, Hi- I think it's Hi-Fi, that is, um, it's on uh, Main Street in Williamsville, um, across from the Wendy's on Main Street, like right near the 290. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it actually, it used to be a record theater in that spot, and then Blockbuster bought it, and it became a, like a Music Plus or something, and then it was a dance studio for 20 years, and now one of the guys who worked at Record Theater bought it and made it a record store. And what I like about them is they don't buy, like they don't take in a lot of stuff, so it's all very well curated. So, like, there's just, it's not like you're searching through, like, 50 bins of, like, $1 jazz records from 1936. Yeah, I've seen a lot of that where it's, like, the same, um, I don't know, Tom Jones album 10 times in a row or in a bunch of different bins. Yeah, I've I've seen Invisible Touch by Genesis a whole lot lately. There's a thing people do, um, I think they call it dinking, (laughs) but you find, uh, 
Who's that guy? Humperdinck? Is that a guy? Engelbert Humperdinck? Yeah, yeah. they find Engelbert Humperdinck's records in uh, used bins, and they just put them all towards the front, so that if you go to like, <laughs> so if you go to the record section at Amvets, it's just like ten bins that look like they're full of. I'm gonna, I I kind of want to do that now. I think that's hilarious. <clears throat> all right, so we are gonna. You, you gave us a Christmas track. I did. Uh, what is it called? Tell us about it. It's called Merry Christmas. Anyways, I wrote the song like maybe two years ago. I just wanted to write a Christmas song. Nice. I haven't uh, had a chance to listen to it yet. Is it just you, or are there other people performing with you? It's just me. Um, I. It's one of those like bluesy, sad Christmas songs. That's Again, awesome. want to write a Christmas song? That's just what came out. But I think I, it's pretty good. I, I, oh, yeah. I'm sending this message out here. If anyone wants to do like a Buffalo Music co- Christmas compilation CD, I would so get behind that and work on that. I think something like that would be fantastic. Yeah, I would happily be involved. And I think, you know, uh, Christmas music is a great way to promote yourself this time this time of year. And I think a lot of bands don't when, like, you can even just do a quick acoustic video that takes 20 minutes. Yeah, why not? Just to kind of have that content available. Yeah, it's the season. Mm-hmm. So, we are going to play, what was the name of the track again? Merry Christmas Anyways. We're going to play Merry Christmas Anyways by Philip Steven, and then we will be back for one more segment here on the Struggle is Real Buffalo Music Podcast on westernnewyorkmusic.com.
back here on the struggle is real buffalo music podcast that was merry christmas anyways by philip steven thanks for giving us that track i really i was i wasn't expecting a christmas track but i was so happy you had one for us you're welcome and merry christmas anyways i guess yeah so um that is all we have for episode number 68 um episode uh number 69 nice thanks um that's gonna be uh that'll be available january 1st as uh our that'll be our best of 2020 which our lovely editor john is putting together um it will also be airing as the beginning of our stream on allw1y.com at 9 30 on new year's eve and um yeah like i said uh chelsea from stress style sydney flanagan um kevin sampson me you me lou cassidy yes it'll be a fun time so if you don't have anything going on on new year's eve and i'm pretty sure you don't quarantine quarantine uh come pay come pay us a visit it'll be a lot of fun we got some games and uh yeah and then uh going forward into uh next year um i've been talking with uh, an old buddy of mine named elliot jacobson who is a part of uh, a couple songs that were nominated for grammys who's actually a drummer i played with in high school who might come on he owns a studio and is producing in new york city and um uh it might at some point in January, I'm hoping uh, 10,000 Maniacs want to come, come on the show. I'm really excited about that. That's cool. Like, like I've had like, like I've had like Alison Pipitone and Tom Stahl, and they're amazing. But like, like I remember like one of the first MTV videos I remember as a kid was "These Are Days" by 10,000 Maniacs. So like, the fact that they're going to be here in my apartment is like mind-blowing to me. They're on an episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Wait, and that was like a big deal. <laughs> To my parents, at least. I believe Den- I believe Dennis Miller called them Chelsea Clinton's favorite band as well. <laughs> <laughs> that is a high regard. I like that. So yeah, no. So twenty twenty's got some amazing. Ga- twenty twenty one. Oh my god. Twenty twenty one. Saying that for the first time. Is and like, we have bands releasing uh, new music. Yes. We'll have bands releasing new music. Oh, we'll actually be talking about that on the New Year's Eve special. We were doing a segment on that. I asked bands who were putting albums out to let me know, and we have like 30 bands to cover in 10 minutes. So that's <laughs> a lot of fun. Um, I want to thank my staff for all their help in 2020. Lou, you've been wonderful. Um, Cassidy ben. is great. Uh, John Galbo, our amazing editor who does so much work with... He just We just send it to him, and he does it, and he doesn't complain, and just... He's really there for awesome us on the, on the back end, and I, I, yeah, thank you, John. Um, Danielle McCartney, who is helping with our social media. Um, thanks for listening in this year, guys. I know it's been tough, and uh, yeah, so, but 2020 has been grueling. Blech. Grueling. Blech. But it'll be over soon. So, if you're listening to this episode, you're only 15 days away. So, until 2021, and then probably past that, too, um, you know, be nice to everyone, and keep on struggling, and we'll see you later. Thanks a lot. 